marijuana, pot, grass, shake, bud, ganja, chronic, cannabis. Cannabis. Whatever term you use, less than 10 years ago, it was a product that was trafficked in the shadows. Hey, buddy. Hey, hey buddy. Hey, buddy. And today, in Oregon and many other states in the U.S., you get a receipt and a bag with your purchase. Thank you. Come again. I'm Travis Box, and I am fascinated by the complexities of what seems like a voter-approved gold rush happening in real time. Will we cultivate Oregon's greatest cash crop ever? Or will this great experiment and legalization go up in smoke? (coughs) Each episode, I'll sit down one-on-one with the major players in the Oregon cannabis industry, the activists, the medical professionals, the legislators, the economists, the regulators, and the lobbyists. How did Oregon get to this place in history? And where does this budding billion-dollar industry go from here? You see what I did there? You're listening to Mainstream Weedia on the Coin Podcast Network. At the beginning of the year, in a previous episode, I spoke with the executive director of the Oregon Cannabis Association, Megan Wallstatter. It was ahead of Oregon's legislative session, and they had a wish list of bills they wanted passed and defeated. This is a mid-year check-in. We'll talk about the legislative wins and losses for the OCA, the bad actors in Southern Oregon, and the current troubling state of the Oregon cannabis industry. You're listening to Mainstream Media. Hi, this is Jeff Giannola from Coin6 News, and I'd like to invite you to watch Coin6 News at 10 on Portland CW. It's our award-winning newscast one hour earlier at 10 o'clock. A full hour of the stories that are important to you and your family from the news team that's watching out for you. Plus, Portland's most accurate forecast certified by weather rate from Chief Meteorologist Natasha Stenbach. See why more people are switching to Coin6 News at 10 on Portland CW. Watching out for you. Welcome back to Mainstream Media. Megan, thanks again for joining me. All right, top line it for me. Here we are in the middle of 2022. What is the state of the Oregon cannabis industry right now? Oh, gosh. Unstable. Scary um, are two words that kind of come to my mind. I feel like everyone I talk to, is it's just like there's like a heaviness in the industry right now. Sales have been down. Um, I guess we'll know July's numbers uh, soon, a couple more days left, and then we'll know what those numbers are. But May sales were down 25% compared to last May, or May 2021. And June sales were down 20%. And it's hitting everybody. Like there's nobody that's really, it's not just retailers, it's the whole supply chain. And I've heard all different kinds of stories of how that, what that pans out and how that's unfolding for different people from businesses shutting down to businesses letting go of all their employees and the owners doing all of the work to people selling and getting out altogether across the board. I feel like, yeah, like I said, there's just like this kind of heaviness and uncertainty about what the next, cause this is like supposed to be like the, like the joyous high sales time. Right. And, you know, I think that, the pandemic gave us a little bubble of and I think that bubble's bursting and it's like that. And I mean, we're not unique. A lot of industries are going through that same bubble bursting of the pandemic life. You know, it's just interesting seeing how it's all 
panning out for everybody. I think that one of the predictions that we talk about often in our association and just personally, I just, I'm not sure who's going to be here in a year, who's going to be here in six months, you know, and what that looks like. And we'll see, you know, it'll hit Southern Oregon differently because people, some people are closing up, but they'll, this might be their last grow season, right? So the winter, we might see a different level of attrition down there than what, than right now, just because of their grow cycle, right? Is there any sort of silver lining on this? Or is it really just a hold your breath and get through it any way possible moment? Is this a survival period for the industry? Um, well, interestingly enough, last week, I would have gone with just survival, <laughs> um, you know, but this is cannabis and this is life. So this week, who knows? I mean, this Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act, I mean, it could take a while, but it definitely felt like a life preserver in some ways thrown at us. Like, cause I mean, none of us, I was completely surprised by that coming out. I mean, what do I know? Right. We don't, we don't have like magic balls that we're looking into to predict the future. But like, if that were to happen sooner rather than later, I mean, that could be a huge difference. I mean, to me, the saturation is so thick everywhere. Exactly what you're talking about, like labor costs are higher. You know, the OLCC is looking at reducing some use of metric tags, which would eliminate some costs for producers, but it's just at the plant level. So it would help it would help the industry, but it wouldn't carry over necessarily to all the licensees. Not the lifeline that the industry is really looking for right now. Exactly. And it will help producers. Believe me, not having to have a plant per tag and reducing plant co- those tag costs, that's huge. And the producers are definitely feeling it like a lot right now, you know, so that'll be huge. It will make a difference between that like survival mode and seeing a light at the end of the tunnel for that particular license group. I just don't know if it's universal yet. So there's those things that are coming down the pipes, but it's in rulemaking and rulemaking is at the end, doesn't really come into effect until I think they're made, like, usually it's the end of December. They're looking at maybe speeding some things up to the end of November, but that's still, I mean, that's five months away, right? That's not tomorrow. None of these solutions are tomorrows, but they're little tiny white lights down the dark tunnel that can help people in that survival mode of trying to keep moving forward and, you know, praying for that, like whatever it is to push them through. And I think that there's, I think there's a lot of prayers happening with cannabis licenses right now or whatever their modality, you know, whatever their paradigm might be. But (laughs) yeah, let's talk a little bit about some success stories that you had this year, because it looks like the Oregon cannabis industry had a pretty successful legislative session. Yeah, well, one of the huge successes and it's actually I couldn't even imagine what the market would look like if this had not gone through is HB 4016. And that was the moratorium on licenses bill. And that had started with just looking at extending the producer moratorium. And then it was expanded to include all licenses, excluding labs, because they're not technically part of the supply chain, right? Even though they're licensed. So that's huge. However, you know, there's still licenses in the queue that from that date on. So there are still new licenses coming out. But if if that was wide open, I mean, it would just continue the saturation. So that was a huge victory for us. The other huge victory was uh, SB 1506 not passing, and that was the tax bill. So those two things are huge. You know, the tax bill isn't going away. You know, that's we're we're preparing now for what we're going to be talking about next session, and it's a longer session. So there'll be more conversations to be had. There can be, you know, in the rooms and backdoor kind of conversations. You know, it's just a longer session, so there's more time. But, you know, we're looking at, 
crafting some talking points now and trying to find some solution-based advocacy around that moving forward versus just no, you know what I mean? <laughs> like trying to engage with some of the people who are for it and seeing if there's compromises. Yeah. And then the other wins from the legislative session, there was HB 4061, which was a water rights bill. Initially in that first round of the bill coming out, cannabis was going to be fined like illegal or illegal cannabis was going to be fined as if it was an illegal product. We were able to get the legal cannabis fined to a more appropriate level instead of having these like erroneous fines. I mean, they're just so different, you know, and why penalize the good actors? You know, you're really trying to get the bad actors and it's really, I don't know how much it is even can it, if it's high THC, to me, it's more low THC, the hemp people that are really the issue, but we were at least able to get the good actors out of that field. So that's huge for the people who are licensed right now who are dealing with water issues. Uh, SB 1564 was the, it was a pause and hemp licenses for the ODA, which also will help stabilize things in the market and just kind of soften some of the tensions down in Southern Oregon. And then AHB 5202, which was our emerging sectors bill. This one's really exciting, but this is again, kind of like, it's more of an analytical excitement versus like a practical excitement. But this is the bill that business Oregon is going to be looking at. They're doing a study about what Oregon needs to do to prepare for legalization at the federal level. So that's really big. That's going to maybe give us some blueprint and it gets people outside of the OLCC looking at dynamics in the industry, which is also kind of what I think a lot of the industry people were looking for is, I mean, for my own business, right? When you're looking at your own stuff, once you, sometimes it's hard to see things that you're when you're only look, trying to like used to looking at certain numbers. So if you get that fresh set of eyes on it, they may see something completely different, right? So that's that one personally is really exciting because I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to see and what what we really need. You know, I mean, we have a lot of ideas, but they're going to be diving in and giving us like some some answers, maybe some solutions, maybe a guidebook, right, to prepare for that. Well, it sounds like you'll have to work on that local tax bill probably every session for a while. But what are you trying to accomplish for this upcoming session? Do you have a legislative plan for next year? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. We are talking about it, but it's so eerie right now on so many levels. I mean, this election cycle, there's so much unknown, right? Like about who are we going to be working with? Who's going to be at the state level guiding us, like our governor, right? So it's, it's like, for all the years that I've been doing legislative work with cannabis, it's the quietest legislatively that we've ever been at this time of year getting ready for a long session because we just don't know where people are going to be sitting. I don't know who to talk to about certain things, you know? Wow. Do you have to game plan based off different political scenarios or are you waiting until the other shoe drops in November and then sort of go, okay, this is the playing field. Here's what we have to work with and Go. I mean, it's, it's more the, the the latter, waiting and seeing the dust settle, right? Because I mean, we're we have so much going on in our association, but like to come up with all those scenarios, it's almost unproductive for our capacity, right? So we have to look at it that way. However, we are looking at our membership to see what the priorities are, right? Because we have our priorities internally, then we know what the playing field looks like, and then we can learn. Then we can see how we adapt to that playing field. So we're still going forward through all the motions that we would normally be going through at this time. It's just the 
some of the conversations that we normally would be having at this time of year to with our champions or with known quantities, some of those just aren't happening because we don't know what the known quantities are, right? You know, so we've been engaging with some of our champions, the people that we know you know, aren't up for election this year and have been friends with us. And, you know, the OCA has a a PAC. We just had our PAC fundraiser on July 12th and we had a bunch of legislators there and we started some good conversations and we started introducing some of our legislative concepts because they're still concepts right now. We haven't really gotten down to the nitty gritty, but besides taxes, and you're absolutely right, we're probably going to be in that Groundhog Day around taxes for several years. Although who knows with Measure 110 what's happening with that. I mean, that who knows how the rest of that's going to unfold and what's unfolded already by the time we get to the legislature session, then like legislative session, like that could change a lot of things. So we'll see how that keeps unfolding. But yes, taxes for a long time. I don't see that going away. The other piece is the moratorium. So the moratorium is something that our HB 4016 did is it's a two-year moratorium. And, you know, we just are coming off of a two-year moratorium on just producer licenses. So we're looking at like it's almost a waste of resources to keep it in the legislative process, right? Because really, we're, we would like to start looking at market-based metrics to be able to evaluate when we can introduce new licenses and having market-based metrics for each license type. And that's complicated and we have no idea how we're going to do it. Retail is easy, right? It's just, that's an easier one. There's a model already out there. So that's one of the things that we're just talking to people about. It's like, what do you think about market-based metrics? Like, And what do you think about maybe it not being a legislative process, moving it over to more of a regulatory process, the people that are looking at the data and having the industry be involved. You know, that's something that we're exploring right now. Although if we have a Republican governor, I don't know if that's even going to go anywhere, right? And so then we would just be working on advocacy and education around why a moratorium is beneficial so that when we get to short session in 2020-2024, we'd have some educated people potentially in the right places to help push that through if that's what we needed to do, of course, depending on what's happening at the federal level. So that piece is one something that we're navigating and and that's definitely like, you know, if this scenario happens and we check that box and, you know, definitely is a a lot of contingency planning um, around conversations, but we know people who are supportive of cannabis, so we can at least start there. And if they think that our ideas are crazy, then we can go back to the drawing board, right? You know, if I can't get one of our champions to get behind me, then how am I going to get a Republican governor to support this idea? So it's soundboard time a little bit around those pieces. And so far, it's been well received, that concept. Would that metric model change based off just the state of Oregon? Or is there a model being developed for an interstate commerce component? It would just be within the state of Oregon because that's what we have right now. I mean, the hope and the and the dream is that all of these problems go away when we can move products over state lines. You know, we're, we're hoping that that's just one of the big solution that we don't have access to right now. Well, Oregon has approved at least the concept of interstate commerce, right? We just need another state to go, yeah, we're on board too. And then what, a test case to see if the feds go, no, 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 or if they allow the two states to actually conduct business, right? Right. Well, it's it's even a little, there's a little bit more of a finer detail in there. We need it to be a bordering state because if those borders are consensual, then we're not trafficking over state lines, right? So that would be then, then we would get into that case study. But like Oregon couldn't just decide with like Missouri, 
to do that because there's a lot of states in between. But like, well, there's always Nevada, and that would be the winner, right? Because Washington and Cal, the tiny little border, but enough. It's enough. It's a, you can st- you can still get cars through that border, and that's all that we need, you know. Yeah, Winnemucca and Lakeview could be like the new cannabis capital, like commerce centers of Oregon and Nevada. But uh, yeah, like Washington and California, those are great, but they're you know they're not they're they have their own issues. They don't need our product. Nevada doesn't have enough product. That's a great solution. But we also we would have to get the Nevada and Oregon governors to come to an agreement get a case study together and then potentially, you know, cross our fingers that somebody doesn't want to look too closely at what's happening over that small, tiny detail of a border. And Idaho's out because they have already outlawed it. They have a law saying that there's no, so, you know, we're really looking at that little tiny like border in that what North, Northeast, North. Yeah. North. What is that? <laughs> like the North. Northwest for Nevada and Southeast for Oregon. Armed Southeast. Yeah. Southeast corner. Yeah. That little tiny corner. Yes. That's what we keep talking about is how can we do that? But there's also so much going on that it feels like that feels like a big thing too right now. You mentioned there was one other thing the OCA was going to focus on. Yeah. We're looking at like, how do we increase sales, right? How do we get people engaged? And obviously, you know, inflation, possible recession, you know, end of the pandemic, all of those things are things that we, you know, are, you know, completely out of our control. Some of them are once in a lifetime events, right? Coming out of the pandemic. Recessions are, you know, a little more often than anybody wants to admit, but it would be looking at some kind of consumption, being able to get, have some kind of consumption uh, areas. So whether it's like event consumptions and then there could be event permits, which could be revenue for the OLCC or city and counties, depending on where they are and what the local jurisdictions would choose, how they would choose to interact with something like that. Why can't we have a open a consumption tent next to the beer tent at any of these festivals that are happening all across the state? If we give people access to being able to, con- more, more public and free access to being able to consume products, we can increase sales through consumption. Um, the other thing that we would be looking at, what consumption would possibly do is it would allow brands to interact with customers so that we could build a little bit more brand allegiance within the industry. You know, people right now, between the retailers dropping prices to compete um, and changing things, like it's, it's really like, it's a lot of loss leaders and like, just like where, what's the cheapest that you have, you know, there's not a lot of brand uh, alliance and allegiance in the cannabis industry and at least flower more so, but even with the, um, like the edibles and the cartridges, people price hunt on that stuff. You know, some brands have their market share, but it's definitely, it's, it's very price sensitive, you know, with allowing people to consumption and try things and be able to talk directly to the producers or the processors or the company themselves, you know, that, I mean, look at beer and wine. They do that all the time. When you're in new seasons, you know, there's a sample right there, a sampling, and you're able to taste the wine while you're in the grocery store. And that you you might actually buy that bottle of wine. Looking at something like that, consumption is tough, though. It's definitely a hard issue. And, you know, even with a Democrat governor, it's going to be tough. So we're just kind of holding that as like, let's just see how the like how the shoe drops and what the playing field looks like. 
that one we'll probably be talking about for a while as well until it becomes live. But we're also behind. A lot of other states have consumption stuff. And some of the concerns that were around consumption when we started our program are, are dated. We're also losing out on all those tourism dollars. You know, Colorado, California, they have consumption. They have events. They have places for people to go to do that. And that's money that could be coming into the economy, especially when we're talking about recession and inflation and all those things. So let's do a quick regulatory check in. What's working at the regulatory level? What's changed since we talked last and what is still challenging? Well, regulatory changes come at the end of the year. So we're kind of gearing up for the next round right now. We're waiting to see who's on the rules advisory committees. They should be starting soon and they're staggering them. So what's to come? Not sure yet. I know that they're going to be looking a lot at metric and then they're going to be doing some stuff about like how we actually take some of the laws that pass and make them like real, right? How do we develop rules around some of them? And so one of those pieces is the license surrendered program, which is part of the moratorium, which creates a surrendered license pool that would become available for historically disadvantaged applicants to apply from that while we're in the moratorium and not issuing new licenses. So there's a whole rules. We don't even, I don't even know how that's going to pan out, right? As far as what's, what's working, I think, you know, we went up to edibles at 10 milligrams um, per serving and 100 milligrams per package. And that seems to be working for the most part. I know there was a little bit of growing pains. You know, I think there's some people that are forgetting that their gummy is now 10 milligrams and not five milligrams, but nothing like crazy. Those people are experienced edible eaters. And, you know, so it's just like a funny story more than anything like <laughs> sensational in the news. You know, there's no Maureen Dowds happening out there, right? Um, yeah. But I would say the biggest thing that we're still navigating around is the artificially derived cannabinoids and what's happening with those. You know, July 1st, we were supposed to, there are no longer supposed to be, there's supposed to be no more CBN, which is one of the artificially derived cannabinoids. We say ADCs. So I'm just going to, it's less, less of a mouthful. So CBN as one of the ADCs is now not supposed to be available in all open market retail outlets. So Although I keep seeing them some places, you know, I mean, it is what it is. And I mean, I don't know how the OLCC is supposed to enforce going to every single retail outlet that's not theirs to enforce something like that. So, and then in July 1st next year, the CBN is supposed to be removed from the market unless people go through this extensive grass certification with the FDA, which they're not even really taking cannabis applications because cannabis is illegal at the federal level. So yeah, it's, it's, and, and then if you can get one, it's like $800,000. It's going to be limited to who can do that. So it's really interesting right now to see what's going on with the ADCs. And, and we've been talking a lot about it. We're moving to calling like it's intoxicating and non-intoxicating cannabis products, right? And then what level, what percentage of THC triggers which label, right? Right now it's 0.03% is when it comes from hemp and you can see your CBD drinks and all your CBD products in open market uh, retail outlets. And then they can also be in an OLCC store as well. But we kind of want to look at there's also, you know, people that are selling Delta 9 and selling like higher THC that are hemp products. I mean, between the mail and bodegas and people's neighborhoods and gas stations in rural Oregon, they're selling those things. It's like, those should all be regulated 
and tested and and be safe for consumers. So I think that we'd like to see us move to like an intoxicating and non-intoxicating product definition and then have standards for each of those kinds of products. And intoxicating would, you know, be in one house, the non-intoxicating can be in a different house, and then they would be available in the appropriate retail outlets that are affiliated with those houses, you know. Recently, I had the opportunity to talk to Mason Walker with East Fork Cultivars in Josephine County. Uh, And we talked a bit about being one of the good actors in an area that has a lot of bad actors. In fact, just today, I got another Oregon State Police press release about them busting an illegal grow operation in Josephine County. I know that in January, during the special session, $30 million was allocated to help fight these cartel-driven grow operations. But Mason told me that money hasn't been allocated yet. What can the OCA do to help either support the good actors in those communities or help support the fight against those bad actors? Yeah, I mean, well, we advocated to get some of that money to, you know, during the legislative session. And then as far as what it comes down to, like, getting funds allocated out from like the bureaucracies to the bureaucracies, like that's like, I mean, we can we can flex a little bit and call people that, you know, our voices are, you know, we're one of hundreds at that point. And unfortunately, this is this is what it this is what money moving in a bureaucracy looks like. I, you know, that aside, I mean, what we are doing is supporting our members. I mean, really, it's listening to people, working with the OLCC, letting them know that this is still a priority for us, talking to them about it, you know, so that when the money is allocated, they know that we're all on the same team. And, you know, I mean, it's unfortunately there's not a ton that we can do right now, right? Once they get the money, we can hold them accountable. We can have conversations about what they're doing. We can ask for like, you know, record keeping and making sure that it's being used properly. And, you know, it's interesting. I, you know, I know that it's still a really active issue. What I've heard a lot is that there's actually maybe a little less outdoor grows and they're starting to move their stuff indoors because you can't see the indoor grow so that they're a little bit more undercover, which is really, you know, I don't think we've seen how that's completely played out yet because how do they know? What do you really want to see for the Oregon cannabis industry over the course of this next year? And what do you think the industry might look like a year from now? Um, you know, I think that um, I would love to see more stability. I would love to see people a little lighter, some smile, the business owners with some smiles on their faces again, and feeling like their 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 work is their hard work is paying off. You know, um, and then what is that? How do we get there? What does that look like? I think that there's there's gonna be some consolidation or more consolidation. I think there's gonna be a lot more consolidation in the next year than we've seen in other places and other times in the industry. I think there's going to be a place for like the small businesses and then there's going to be the bigger businesses might grow a little bit. I'm wondering about that middle tier, you know, like a mom and pop or maybe the mom and pops go out. I feel like somewhere the middle tier and the mom and pops, that's going to change. That's where we're going to see the most change. You know, I think that we're probably going to see You know, wholesalers and processors, I know they're also feeling it because they're part of the supply chain. I think that we'll see less change in those numbers than in producers and processors. You know, don't think that we're going to see a ton of people. We're not seeing a ton of people come in from out of state. That's not really, you know, an issue for us because nobody wants to come here. 
I mean, nobody wants to play in this field with us. You know, they're they're waiting for the federal for the federal doors to be lifted so that they can come here because they think it's cheaper to do things than in other places. You know, which in some states it's actually 100% true. Yeah, I think that there's going to be you know, like I said, consolidation, it's going to be a little bit, look a little bit different with branding. And I think we might see some bigger companies getting a little bigger. Is there anything that you want to leave the listeners with in our mid-year check-in here? The one thing that I think is not, that we haven't covered in this is the robberies and what that's doing, you know, and how that's really impacting. It's it's really, I mean, it's, it's happening all over. Obviously, Portland is, is a hub for robberies of all kinds in all industries. Um, and we have the most amount of dispensaries. So we're kind of easy targets, but it's not just dispensaries. You know, it's happening to all license types. Every single license that the OLCC issues is listed online with an address for all of those, you know, for every single one. So I know grows, I know processors, I know, you know, dispensaries that have all been hit. I think that that's something that we need to keep talking about. We need to solve find some way to solve that, you know, I mean, Best Buds two weeks ago, you know, just had somebody pistol whipped and shot at. And, you know, this is high robbery season when the days are longer and the, t- and the temperatures are hotter, right? So we almost had like a delay startup, right? Well, just like all things, our spring was, well, we all lived through it. We know what it looks like, you know, but that affected that robbery curve, right? So instead of this gradual curve, we kind of went like here to jump up, right? And it was a big jump. And I think in the, in the winter and the spring months, it was still happening. It just had gotten to a rhythm. People kind of knew they, they, they had a, not a handle on it, but there was a rhythm to it. It was, it was maybe almost a little bit like kind of predictable. They're like, oh, there's that, that, that person who comes in and tries to do these things. Right. But now it's like the wild, wild west again, you know, and we're starting to see some of those, you know, the assaults coming back into the robberies and not just like grab and goes and things like that. So. Well, as a media outlet, I, I have to tell you, we do try to cover it and put a light on it and hold law enforcement accountable to follow up on it. But they are shorthanded, and they're dealing with a gun violence emergency, and they're dealing with so many other things, and they can't prioritize it sometimes. But as a media outlet, we are doing what we can to try to make sure people understand that this needs to be addressed. Yeah, and thank you for doing that. Of course. Megan, thank you so much. As always, I love talking to you. I would love to talk to you again in about six months just to see where we are and see how we sort of get through this next six months. Thank you. Okay, bye. Megan Wallstatter, Executive Director for the Oregon Cannabis Association. Mainstream media. The Oregon cannabis industry is facing a period of great uncertainty. Some of that uncertainty has to do with once-in-a-lifetime events like the pandemic. But other issues are social, political, and economic. The next 6 to 18 months could be crucial. Will the industry stabilize? Or will it, a year from now, look nothing like it does today? We'll continue to follow it for you right here on Mainstream Media on the COIN Podcast Network.